one breath at a time. 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 Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode four. I'm Rhiannon Walker, and today we're going to switch it up. I have a special guest here with me, my husband. Waylon. I'm sure they all know me very well from your first episodes. I'm sure I've been <laughs> mentioned in every single one. Probably. Probably true. So on today's episode, we're going to kind of discuss what we do, just kind of get through our life and what that looks like. So stay tuned as we go through this roller coaster that is our everyday life. So Waylon, how are you feeling going into this session? I'm a bit nervous. This is my first time in the One Breath at a Time studio here. Considering it's episode four, you're the first guest, so <laughs> nobody else has been in your shoes. It was a pretty nice setup you've got here, though. We're laying in our bed recording this, fully clothed, not to make this awkward on anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so, in our family, and I've discussed this many times before, we obviously have a little bit of a unique perspective to what it's like to be in the medical world from the side of the patients and the family and all of that. Now, I've discussed it more on my perspective of what it's like being the patient and um, working with the kids and all that, but we haven't really discussed what it's like to be the spouse to a young cancer patient. So Waylon, walk me through what you kind of went through your head when I first got diagnosed before we knew really much of anything coming home with that diagnosis. Um, he didn't go to me with the appointment where I truly heard that I was diagnosed with cancer. He stayed home with the kids but when I came home and he saw my face, he immediately knew. So, Waylon, what went through your mind at that time? I think it was just a lot of shock, fear, and just kind of scared for what's to come. And to be completely honest, like through all of this, a lot of times I don't necessarily think about the the facts of this is what's going on as much as uh, what's our next step and what do we have to do next and uh, just focusing on where I need to be and how I can help and how we make our lives better moving forward. I think that's very well said. And I mean, the title of this podcast being One Breath at a Time is truly because we really do live our day one breath at a time. You never know what's going to come up or what's going to happen or if your neighbors are going to smoke some strong medical marijuana and fill your apartment with it or not. Um, we currently struggle with that and it's legal in the state of Illinois and there's nothing we can do about it, but that does affect us health-wise and all that. But besides that, living each day one breath at a time does bring up some issues and 
as much as we may seem like we're easygoing and can go from one event to the next, it doesn't necessarily mean it is truly that easy. So how do you deal with me being the patient, but also being your wife? Like, how do you separate being the full-time caregiver, but also just being the husband and getting to just enjoy that time? Yeah. um, I don't know. I guess it's really hard to try to split the two. I guess a lot of times I just view it as kind of spending time together. You know, we're we're in the car ride on the way to all these appointments. We are, you know, go out to lunch, have a nice lunch date due to uh, doctor's appointment circumstances and whatnot. Um, while we're there, I just try to pay attention and kind of learn everything that I can. Yeah, and I, I mean, Waylon is my note taker when we go to appointments because my memory sucks. So he he usually takes my notes and helps me remember what the doctors talk about and all that. But, I mean, at most of the appointments, he's pretty quiet. And I'm, I mean, you would probably agree I'm more of the vocal. I would say that's pretty general just in life <laughs> as a whole. That, uh, that I'm very quiet and tend to overthink my my words at times. Yes. And yet he still happens to be the person that all of my family loves more than me. (laughs) (laughs) My grandpa, who has passed on, used to tell everyone that that Waylon, he's one hell of a guy. And I'm like, what about me, Grandpa? Aren't I awesome, too? You didn't carry the propane tanks for the grill. (laughs) No, I did not carry propane tanks. That's where you went wrong. Yep, I failed there. But supporting me through all the doctor's appointments, how is it... Some of these appointments are harder than others. For instance, um, we've had a couple scary moments where... Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, walk me through what you kind of were thinking when I immediately came out of my major surgery where I had part of my lung removed and I was in the ICU when you first saw me after that. And I've seen, I have only seen pictures that he posted publicly for everybody to see that I've made it out of surgery. They're quite the special pictures. (laughs) But what, how are you feeling walking into that room seeing your 26-year-old wife laying in that bed. So a lot of times it's just kind of what's in the moment and, you know, looking at the monitors and kind of analyzing what's all hooked up and where your stats are and uh, who the nurses are and when the doctors are coming in, when we can go home, (laughs) obviously, because that's what everybody wants to know. Yeah. But, uh, just kind of getting the lay of the land. Um, so you kind of mentioned a severe case where you're kind of completely out and I'd kind of be more concerned with, uh, you know, are, are you progressing well? Are you getting better? Or are you 
kind of going downhill and uh, where we headed next on some of the other cases where it's more that you may get some really bad news or something like that. A lot of times I'm more concerned with how are you handling this mentally? Cause I know this is really hard on you. And sometimes those appointments are a real mental struggle. Uh, sometimes it's for the bad news. Sometimes it's because the way the news is handled, sometimes it's the way you're, you're treated. But I think in both of those cases, um, I'm always, it's always in the moment it's, and thinking about where we're headed today and how I can help you today. And a lot of times it's not necessarily thinking, what's this going to mean in 10 years? Yeah. And I mean, I would say Wayland's always been that way. I'm the future planner and the with my diagnosis um, going into my surgery, I had to, we had to discuss topics that no young couple really should have to discuss, but we had to discuss what to do in case something went wrong and what I would want him to do and what choices I would want him to make. And Waylon really does stay in the moment. And I struggling with, some pretty strong anxiety. A lot of the times I can get through an appointment. He commented about how I was treat, how I've been treated in different appointments. And it's true. We've had several doctors that they just treat me. I mean, I would say pretty nasty. Mm -hmm. I've gotten treated pretty nasty at several appointments. Yeah. I, I'd say some of the staff kind of, you know, needs to understand what you're going through. Uh, you, you kind of get different, different levels of reaction, sometimes based on where you're going. Like when you're going to some of your places that don't typically de deal with cancer patients, sometimes that they can kind of brush off the seriousness of it a little bit and just hand you a big whopping load of bad news like it's nothing uh other others won't realize how how important your appointment is and they'll try to drop the well you're five minutes late uh you can just go home on you <laughs> without realizing what it means for your family because they're to they're used to just dealing with annual checkups yeah there's there's definitely been a wide variety of how how we've been treated through this. Um, neuroendocrine cancer in general has a bad rap for people thinking that you are cured right after having surgery. And that's what we were initially told is you would have surgery and then you would be cured. You wouldn't have to worry about this anymore. And even after having surgery, uh, the first pulmonologist I went back to um, said, well, you're cured. You don't need to worry about this anymore. But um, after doing some of my own research, 
and discovering that I needed to find a specialist in neuroendocrine cancer, which we have at the University of Iowa. And the specialists are a whole nother level of amazing. And I would say have helped us understand really what we're going through and help us. They help us see it more of a let's get through the next six months and not and help us break it down. Whereas some of the other doctors are like, well, your blood works fine right now. I don't know what you want us to do. And they don't necessarily take the symptoms and handle them. They just kind of brush me aside because my lab work looks okay at the moment, but yet my symptoms are all over the place. And that's where the specialist is able to see all the symptoms, acknowledge that they are legit symptoms, and give us ways to handle those symptoms. Yeah, I think that's where maybe some of the people who aren't specialists don't understand that knowing your history and knowing that you you have the history of already battling through uh, your first surgery and having your uh, first tumor removed, mm-hmm. knowing that that's there completely changes the story in the specialist's mind. Yep. And and gives them confidence knowing that they're treating for the right things. Yep. And I think a lot of the other doctors don't don't see that. Yep. Uh, I think you you also kind of battle a little bit with your age sometimes and that you're a lot younger than a lot of the people battling. Uh, I don't know if that that also plays into where you don't look as frail as some of the others you you can put on a face and look just fine yeah. at the appointment no matter how terrible your symptoms are yeah not saying that you don't have days where you take a blanket in and just completely cover yourself <laughs> up into your own cocoon i do that a lot um and I, that is completely true i mean i can't tell you how many people will make the comment well, your color's really good. You're doing really good. Ironically, uh, one of the big symptoms of neuroendocrine cancer is flushing, which makes your face very colorful. So usually when they say the color is good, sometimes I reply with a comment of that's the cancer, <laughs> um, whether that's good or not. But I do agree. I think my age does play a big role in it. Um, It's usually not discovered as early as it was discovered in me. And it was discovered so soon because, I mean, I started coughing up blood. And coughing up blood is a pretty serious symptom. And when the antibiotics for the chest infection didn't work, they realized that maybe this blood was something else. And that's when they discovered the tumor blocking 80% of my main bronchial tube to my left lung. So, I mean, just in general, so we get through our appointments day to day and moment to moment and one breath at a time. And I would say for my own mental health, I, for the most part, can get through an appointment unless 
I'm being completely talked down to and treated horribly, then I start to freeze up during the appointment. But otherwise, excuse me, I would say I hold it together, but walking out of the room, sometimes, depending on what news we got, that's when it'll hit me. And I'll just really start to shut down. And um, some of my after-appointment recovery methods are go get a donut or get a Starbucks ice cream or you mentioned a lunch date or Starbucks. I, I didn't mean Starbucks ice cream. I meant a Starbucks drink of some kind. But They sell frozen coffee. Yeah, Same thing. That's kind of like ice cream. <laughs> so I would say that that is a very accurate summary of how we handle that what so on i get shots every three weeks which there's it's referred to by my doctors as chemo and um it's truly a hormone so it's like this grayish area whether it's chemo or not chemo I just call it chemo because it really doesn't matter. It it can suppress the tumor, and I guess that's what chemo to me does. So I just kind of follow what the doctors are. But technically, it's a hormone that I get. And what's it like to watch me go into that appointment, walk into – I can walk into the cancer center, but then within minutes of getting the chemo – I immediately am just taken down and barely can walk and need a wheelchair and just get, I get extremely frail very quickly. I guess this is where my, my, uh, outlook forward shortens up quite a bit and I'm not looking at what do you need in, in the next hour. It's, uh, what do we need to do right now? Are you uh, are you even able to get off the bed and into a wheelchair? Are you ready to get for me to get that wheelchair? Do you need someone to hold your hand and just uh, kind of tough through some of the initial uh, what do you call it? Like it's like a, you feel dizzy and nauseous and yeah, it um, it just it's like getting smacked in the face with a flu. But the shot I get into my hip, and I mean it's a what do they refer to it as? They refer to it as a sawed-off shotgun. Yeah, I mean it's a big needle to the hip, injecting a super thick medicine, and I, yeah, you feel the effects of it immediately. It you feel absolutely horrible. I'm pretty sure it just takes a chunk with it. Yeah. Oh, it's nasty. It is a nasty shot to get. But, I mean, it suppresses all the other... I mean, right now we're... I'm supposed to get my chemo on Friday. And um, the week of chemo is usually one of the worst weeks. Uh my I get really bad chest pain, which I've been fighting off a lot this week. Um, I don't know if that's repercussions from Colorado trip or not. 
but I mean, weeks like this where um, we're fortunate that your job lets you work from home and help out, but how how do you try to balance that work home life balance? For the most part, I just try to be as flexible as I can and kind of, again, live that day by day and moment by moment and not, I try not to get too worked up when, when I have to be home to help her out and help, uh, just help you through your day on those days where it's so bad. You need somebody just to walk you out of bed. Anytime you need out of bed, you, you need me here. Yeah. Um, and it's really important just to have that flexibility. Um, I'll say with that, um, not every day I feel as flexible as, uh, as others. Some days I just, you know, you have to take care of your own mental health. And there's just some days where I feel like I need out. Yeah. And sometimes it's just finding the balance of, can I just do the morning, come back and help you get lunch and then stay home for the afternoon. Yeah. And I mean, on those days, keep in mind, Waylon and I have been together since 2006. We were high school sweethearts. And so we really, I don't think somebody else could know each other on such a level that we do. And so I probably annoyingly comment on Waylon's faces he makes when he answers questions or when he asks me questions or he'll ask me how I'm feeling. And this week it's been a lot of, I think I really need you just to stay home. And the look on his face, I usually comment on that. (laughs) I think it's easier when you know it's coming, when you know... You've had a couple bad days. You seemed kind of bad when you went to bed last night. I'm not expecting to go anywhere today. I think it gets hard when I get up with the kids, I make breakfast, and while I'm making, you know, eating my breakfast, I'm thinking about things I'm going to do through the day. I'm planning my day out in my head. And then I come in to talk to you a little bit before we head off to the kids' school. And it's like a bomb's been dropped on my day and completely breaks everything that I just planned out in my head. And sometimes that's initially kind of just disruptive to uh, what you've planned out already. It's not like, you know, it's not the end of the world. Things can change. Um, but I think when it, when it gets really hard is when they stack up for a long time and I'm stuck here for a long time. I don't envy you at all during that time. But I, I definitely start to mentally struggle with not getting out and not getting any social interaction with my peers. Uh, a lot of times, you know, you'll see news announcements come through work of various levels, whether it's from the CEO or whether it's from your boss, 
and you're like not sure what you think about it and you completely miss out on talking to to coworkers about that. Yeah, I mean I I completely understand the you planned out your day and now this bomb's been dropped and you have to change it and I don't expect you to give me a positive go lucky <laughs> okay, let's just flip this around. But I I think my anxiety gets the best of me. And before I tell you, yes, I need you to come home, I've already played out 20 million different <laughs> like situations in my head. Of, and like I go to the extreme because I have really bad anxiety. Like I'll go to the point of like, oh, he's going to hate me. He's going to be so mad at me that I'm going to make him stay home from work because I can't walk to the bathroom. And like obviously that's at a level where I can't care for myself. So I need him, but I struggle asking for that help and I'm learning slowly, but I'm learning to ask for that help. But I definitely understand where you, that's gotta be hard on you. I don't. Yeah, I, th I think the hard days are the ones where you've had a good day every day up until now. You, you go and work out the night before and it's like, yeah, you're as healthy as can be in your state. Like this is the best you've ever done. And then you drop that in and it's just this complete unexpected shift in the day. Yeah. On, on days where like this week, Monday was kind of rough, but then after that, it feels normal that we're, we're back kind of in the, in that mode where I come back home every day. Yeah. And I mean, what he's referred, I mean, this weekend I had a really, really great weekend and, um, I was able to, I mean, I was able to do mostly everything. Um, I think, I don't know when we, something happened. I feel like Sunday night that just took me down and so, like, that day I had even worked out and I was doing... No, Sunday I was struggling. Saturday I really pushed myself. Sunday I was struggling. Um, I just felt myself going downhill. But it's frustrating that one day you can go from feeling great and working out and getting to go to photo sessions to all of a sudden the next day you wake up and you barely can move and you feel like your body's failing you. So, I mean, I could only, it's a hard, it's a hard switch. It's hard to cope with that from both our ends, mm -hmm. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't envy you at all in the position that you have that, and I'm sure that anxiety wise that it's got to be that much worse that this is where your day is gone from where it was yesterday. Yeah. I think the only harder thing that I have is that the sometimes you kind of might feel it building and you are kind of preparing it out. And for me, it's that, that hard shift. Yeah. I I very much shut down sometimes to where 
I don't even want to talk to him that like I get scared to ask him to stay home and it's not that he's ever said no or never really denied like never denied me to help me out and like work has always been accommodating there was no reason in any way shape or form that I should be scared to ask him but I played that all out in my head for hours before I finally come to terms with the fact that I'm going to have to ask him. So, I mean, cover that covers a majority of just the basics. I would say that's the basics of our, I mean, just barely getting into things. I think this is going to turn into a little bit of a mini-series of how we function as a couple raising two young kids and still having a healthy relationship and how we juggle that. So I'm thinking there's probably going to be a few more episodes to this little mini series. I mean, if you want me to come back, if you're, if I didn't scare everybody away at this point, I mean, you got to come back because we are filming in our bed. So, I mean, you could sleep on the couch, but it's a really small couch. <laughs> it's really not that comfortable. <laughs> I, I was still mentally in the one breath at a time studio. <laughs> it, I, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a nice place in there. You should go there. I mean, we only have two air purifiers in here to filter out the smoke coming from our neighbor's apartment. So it truly is one breath at a time in here. <laughs> So, thank you for coming on. Yeah, you're welcome. And glad to anytime. I mean, we'll get through this. Always. Always. One breath, One breath at, at a time. time. So, what did we say? We're doing it together. No, we're in it together. <laughs> there you have it. That's episode four with Waylon here. He will be back. He's not going anywhere. He's stuck with me. So, Waylon, do you want to close this out? Yeah, sure. Share the podcast with your with a friend. <laughs> you don't even know what you're doing anymore. <laughs> fo- follow her on Twitter. She's podcast underscore O-B-A-A-T. Follow her on Facebook. If you have any show ideas or topics, reach out to her on the socials. Yeah. And my Facebook page is One Breath at a Time. And we're here. We're surviving. Always surviving. One breath at a time.